Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Sarah, how excited are you to geek out? I'm like happy dance, dancing around, I would say, <laughs> my kitchen, but I'm not because I'm I'm on my treadmill desk, but my treadmill desk isn't on because then I would be huffing and puffing and I'm attached by a dorky cord to my computer. So my dancing is like the try not to strangle myself dancing, which is uh, really just not as cool in any way. <laughs> There's a whole lot of dance happening in that but there's there's a lot there's still there's what i'm trying to say is i'm geeking out already yeah i i know that we had been talking about potentially bringing on this guest and um you were like i can't wait to talk science (laughs) and i'm like okay i try not to be like offended (laughs) i i i mean you can talk science, but not a, not, there's a different yeah. there's a different way that you talk science with a scientist yes. that's not quite the same. And um, it's one of the things that I um, I miss about academia is you know those sort of daily high level conversations. And I don't have that in my day to day life anymore. And so it's one of those things that happens now. You know whether it's um, somebody like our guest, or, you know, it can be sort of almost any field. It can be one of my husband's colleagues. And I get so like a little bit probably overbearingly excited, <laughs> but I just so enjoy those conversations. And it's just one of those things that um, I will probably always miss um, about, you know, doing medical research in a, in a university setting. Um not that I would trade what I'm doing now uh, in in any way because I I really love what I do now, but it is one of the one of the things that um, that I don't get anymore that I that I do miss. I'm here for you if you ever just want to talk to me. I'll pretend to listen. I ever just want to like blurt out a whole pile of like mm-hmm. twenty syllable words. I'll even put on my reading glasses to look really smart. <laughs> do you have reading glasses? Wait, wait, wait. I know. It's a thing. So here's, I think what's actually happening is that my eyes are deteriorating because I work in an office with no windows. Mm, and yeah. um, Nothing to do with your age. Nothing at all, at all to do with my age. Nothing. So my, I'm going to have windows in my office in a few months and I'm hoping um, that will cure this mm-hmm. problem with my eyes. But that said, Surely. my reading glasses are super cute and I have nothing to hide. My husband happens to think that they only make me look better looking. So it's a win-win situation. Do you, do you have a chain for them? I'm no. picturing you. I'm picturing Stop. you with like these like I did not crochet lens. myself a little lanyard <laughs> for my reading glasses. <laughs> Oh, no, I was picturing like a bling, bling chain. <laughs> bling <That's>, chain. <laughs> yeah. 
It's all sparkles, little rhinestones all the way down. Maybe we should um, focus on the show. We have Sorry. a guest this weekend. Um, so we do have an amazing guest, um, everybody. We have Dr. Terry Walls. Um, she is the author of The Walls Protocol, and she's been one of the biggest influences for me in my work. Um, right when I was st- you know, starting my paleo journey, I was a couple months into paleo when her TEDx Iowa City talk went viral on YouTube and I watched it and it was the thing that made me start thinking about paleo in terms of nutrient density. And it was something that as I incorporated it into my implementation of the autoimmune protocol and started doing more research, it's her work that is the reason why the autoimmune protocol now has such a strong nutrient density focus. It's because of the inspiration that she provided with not just her story, but also bringing in all that science. I mean, her, her original um, rationale for, for high vegetable consumption came from all of the essential nutrients required for mitochondrial health. But you can extend that you know, beyond those nutrients and look at the complementary nutrients that you get in organ meat and seafood. And that is why those are sort of like the three nutrient density pillars of, of the autoimmune protocol. So I'm really, really excited to have her on. In fact, I think we may or may not have arranged to talk for an extra long time so we could get two episodes out of our conversation with her. Extra geeky. It's double the geek. <laughs> We're doubling down. Um, yeah, well, I... You know, it's not um, it's not often that I get to uh, be a kind of a listener on the show, so I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we should should jump in and uh, get started with her. Yeah, let's get her on. Welcome to the show, Dr. Terry Walls. How are you? Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming I, back. You must, like, lo- you must like us. You came back. I love you guys. You're doing great work. <laughs> I am sorry I missed you at the NTA conference this year. Oh, yeah. So am I. I was very, very uh, sad that we didn't get to cross paths. Yeah, it sounds like it was uh, quite the fun little reunion of, of people. Um but I, I'm really excited that you're on the show because, you know, as I was telling Stacy before we started um, uh, recording, I feel like I've been in my little uh, bubble of, of writing, which I, I know both both of you guys understand what that's like when you suddenly you're in, in that part of writing a book where you have to sort of tune out the rest of the world or not survive it. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like I've you know, I've really fallen behind in terms of the research that you've been doing. And it's one of the things that I am so amazingly grateful for it with your voice in our community. It's not just one of nutrient density, which I super, super appreciate. Um, really paleo is a plant-based diet, a vegetable rich diet, which I super appreciate, but also that you're taking these concepts to clinical trials and you are contributing to that very, very much needed body of scientific literature that someone like I can reference back to and say, you know, well, actually we do have clinical trials looking at 
the paleo diet and autoimmune disease and look at this amazing work that Dr. Walls is doing. You know, if we're going to change clinical practice, we absolutely have to have some prospective studies that can uh, randomize people and then compare them on uh, some of these uh, diets. Uh, and of course, doing uh, dietary research is uh, hard work, um, uh, lots of fun, very exciting. Um, but yeah, we've, we've done some studies and we have more studies underway. So, uh, some, and we're getting them published. And of course, getting, getting this stuff published is a lot of hard work because it's so innovative when you're doing things that are really new. Um, there's a lot of pushback in the uh, publishing world. Uh, and so you have, it's a long process. It's not the the sort of, yeah, it's not the sort of, um, cookie cutter scientific papers that a lot of editors are used to. It's much easier to do mouse studies, you know, uh, and drug studies. So they are much, much easier to conduct, much less costly to conduct. Um, and then you can test one uh, physiologic pathway at a time. And uh, that's what the NIH has funded for a long time. So what I do is very, very different. Well, and I guess with these types of dietary intervention studies, you cannot design it in a double-blind fashion. Like somebody knows if they're eating broccoli or if they're not eating broccoli. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So that adds that whole other layer of complication because there is the possibility for placebo effect in that in that case. Absolutely. And, and we, so we always have to talk about placebo effect uh, and uh, uh, that needs to be a paragraph uh, in all of our papers. So can you summarize the, the recent studies that you've been doing? Sure, sure. So, you know, in the very first study uh, that we did, which was that uh, study that replicated what I did in my own healing journey. So we used diet, we used stress reduction, we used exercise, electrical stimulation of muscles, a, a really very, very comprehensive approach. We collected a amazing amount of data, which we had only uh, analyzed a very small part of it uh, when we published our first two papers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a paper that's been accepted and will be coming out uh, uh, in this next uh, journal of the Journal of American College of Nutrition. Mm. And in that paper, we talked about uh, the impact on anxiety, depression, and uh, uh, test of uh, cognition. So we talked about verbal reasoning, nonverbal reasoning, uh, uh, and the uh, RAM or uh, uh, working memory. Uh, And we're able to show uh, favorable changes, uh, again, over time. Uh, Of course, with the limitation that it's uh, not uh, randomized, and so there could be some placebo effect. Um, But, you know, this is a progressive disease where you would have expected a 10% decline in performance for the cognition. uh, And we would not have expected uh, anxiety and and depression to have improved. So uh, those were very fun uh, observations to make, and we'll be... That'll be coming out. Um, now, was that in the? That's data from the same first twelve patients that went through. First twenty-one. Twenty-one. Oh my 21. goodness! That's so, so. We're getting some good numbers now. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, great numbers. Then uh, we have another uh, paper that has been out and published, um, and that was in a uh, randomized uh, controlled group. So uh, this is very exciting. Uh, we had uh, people coming in. And they would be randomized to either get the study diet now or to wait 12 weeks and then get the study diet. 
Cool. So uh, now uh, we still, of course, don't have uh, blinding. So uh, people know uh, they're on the study diet or they're not. Um, and the people who are just waiting, we don't have a uh, uh, nondescript support or education they're getting. Uh, so they were just waiting. The people on the study diet were getting coaching calls uh, uh, weekly uh, for eight weeks. Yeah, and again, well, we ended up. I think um, I think it was nineteen total uh, that we had. Uh, and one of the issues that we had when people got randomized to the waitlist control, they said, "I'm not waiting." <laughs> uh, and so uh, we kept having to uh, continue recruiting so we could get enough people in our control. And we finally said, "Okay, we have to just uh, publish uh, what we've got." So even with our again very small numbers, we're able to show that. Um, the people who were on the study diet, it, it was well tolerated, um, and that we had reduction in fatigue severity in the dietary group as compared to the control group. Uh, we did uh, some more sophisticated measurements of motor function. Uh, so we had people uh, do a 25-foot walk, a six-minute walk, a hand uh, measure of function where you flip uh, pegs uh, in a pegboard, you put pegs in, then you take them out and you put them back. Uh, and we were able to show that uh, hand function improved, walking function improved, you know, and fatigue, uh, um, of course, reduced. Uh, then our quality of life measures we were able to show that quality of life uh, was improved in several domains as well. Uh, and again, this is a very, very small sample size. And so to have statistically significant results in such a small sample size uh, is really quite noteworthy. So I was wondering if you could, for our listeners who maybe aren't that familiar with MS, um, I was wondering if you could put those effects into context in terms of conventional treatments that are available. Okay, well, maybe I should sort of review uh, everyone quickly what MS is like. Um, and so this is an autoimmune condition where the immune cells are attacking the myelin, which is the insulation on the brain wiring. And when you have relapsing remitting MS, uh, you have acute worsening of symptoms, that's called the relapse. And then you have uh, reduction in symptoms, that's called a remission. Uh, and uh, so in this group, uh, uh, people uh, may have been on disease-modifying drugs, and most of them were. Uh, you would still expect over time, because if, if you look at the big picture over time, uh, there is this slow uh, progression uh, uh, or burden of disease leading to a gradual reduction in walking speed, gradual reduction in the length of distance uh, that you can walk. Uh, because this was a short study over 12 weeks, we would not have expected to see any change uh, in walking speed uh, um, or any decline that would have been uh, appreciated, that you would have thought uh, things would be pretty much unchanged over that short duration uh, of just 12 weeks. So in that sense, it's noteworthy and surprising that we got a uh, significant improvement in the six-minute uh, walking uh, in the intervention group as compared to the non-intervention group. 
Uh, and then even walking speed uh, improved in the intervention group versus non-intervention group. We had expected that fatigue was going to improve. Uh, we just didn't really know if we'd be able to see changes in motor improvement. Because, you know, in, in my other study, which was in uh, progressive MS, um, a couple folks had improvement in motor function early. But for most people, motor change didn't occur until uh, between months 9 and 12. So we really hadn't had not known what we what we would see in this very short duration uh, study with the relapsing remitting. So are these um, 19 people who are in the 12 week trial, are they yeah. still continuing with the protocol? Well, um, I did not have permission to continue. Uh, uh, we didn't continue gathering information on those folks. And I need to go back and, and look to see if we had um, gotten permission to, to contact them again for future studies. Okay. If we have, then we will go back out and contact them uh, to see if they're still following the diet and get them to repeat their fatigue severity scale scores. Because that would be really uh, pretty fun to see. It's one of the things that um, I hear as sort of a common criticism of uh, paleo and the autoimmune protocol is that, you know, it's, it's too hard. And to me, it's always a really, you know, I've been doing this for over, well, I guess, five and a half years now. And, yeah. and I'm kind of a newbie <laughs> in terms of how long I've been, you know, modifying my diet in order to mitigate autoimmune disease. And, um, and to me, it's always, no, of course it's not hard because it's so, um, it's so obvious to me if I eat even the, you know, slightly off plan, I get so sick and that mm -hmm. really keeps me motivated to continue. You know, I want to continue to eat this way because I want to continue to feel amazing. And so when you take, well people who are sort of new to this idea of dietary interventions, I always sort of, you know, my, my question is, you know, if, if you feel like the difference that they're seeing in that 12 week time frame is motivation enough to continue. So uh, this is a great question. So thanks for leading up to that. Um, when we look at the uh, baseline diet of our folks, uh, when they first enrolled, and this is the, the very first study, uh, they were having, on average, one and a half servings of vegetables a day and five servings of grain, dairy, and eggs per day. Wait, wait. Did you just say one and a half servings of vegetables a day? One and a half. It, it, and actually, that matches the national norms. So they were right on the national uh, average American diet. Uh, then at the end of 12 months, they were at eight servings of vegetables a day and had really had done a, a marvelous job of staying on the excluded foods. Now, my uh, research mentor, uh, who's the uh, PhD dietitian who really helped me uh, with our study design, uh, told me that in her world, when you do a, a research intervention and you can increase vegetable intake by one serving a day at the end of 12 months, that's like a home run. Uh, and when they're able to do anything above and beyond that, they know that What's really going on is this this intervention diet is markedly changing the symptom profile, uh, and that's what, of course, what is what you and I are telling the world is when the diet changes your symptom profile, and you can tell you feel better on the diet, you stay on the diet. Yeah. 
when we do uh, drug studies, if people can't perceive any difference from being on drug A or not being on drug A over time, they quit drug A. And it doesn't matter for what condition uh, you're taking that drug A. And likewise, if you put someone on a study diet, uh, and it's, say, to, to prevent heart disease, prevent cancer, if you don't feel any different, you'll go back, you tend to go back to the uh, uh, previous diet. But if you're on an intervention diet that is reducing your symptoms, be it uh, a diet that's preventing the need for dialysis, so you'll feel better, you'll stay on that diet, or a diet uh, that, in our case, reduces your symptoms of autoimmunity, uh, people uh, stay on the diet, and they stay, stay on the diet really quite well. We, we, the people who we saw went off the diet, uh, went off, uh, one lady went off because she developed uh, chronic leukemia uh, as a complication from her previous uh, chemotherapies. And so she had, she was undergoing uh, some pretty intensive uh, treatment interventions relative to the leukemia. Uh, and so what she was doing for us seemed to be uh, uh, relatively uh, less important to her. Uh, for obviously yes. understandable reasons. Yeah. Uh, uh, another lady who could not sustain the diet uh, had her uh, uh, marriage end. And so she was, uh, again, uh, using food now to treat her uh, serious mental health challenges that most people experience when they go through that level of life change. I felt really bad for her because that's sort of like, you're going to be making your mental health worse. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you know, uh, she was not able to stay on the diet, and uh, all of the great progress that she had enjoyed in the previous nine months all evaporated. So it, it, it was a very—it's an interesting thing for us to note. Uh, uh, you know, the improvements that people experience then when they have to stop the study interventions for understandable environmental factors, uh, we see their gains disappear. So that is a really interesting point, because I think anecdotally, um, people who are following uh, the WALS protocol or the Automy protocol, which are, you know, sort of 95% overlap in yeah, terms right, of the recommendations, right. um, I think that, you know, we all have this, you know, well, if I have um, gluten, you know, even across contamination, I have a flare. Um, for me, I have, you know, probably six or seven foods that are in that category of I cannot touch them at any point. Um, otherwise, um, I wake up not just with Hashimoto's flare, but fibromyalgia flare. So I feel like yeah. someone just threw shards of glass in between all of the bones in my feet. And, um, and so it's, you know, my body is that sensitive so that if I have, you know, one of these six or seven foods, um, it's, it's kind of like being hit by a truck in terms of, of what it does to my health. And it's interesting mm -hmm. to talk about, um, you know, I've, I've never gone completely off plan. I have, um, made not amazing decisions, but they've been one-offs, um, or I've been exposed to something that was not, not, you know, not on purpose. Yeah. And, um, and to think that, I mean, to, to know that our bodies are so, sensitive to, I mean, maybe this is nutrient status. Maybe this is, um, just, you know, really, um, sensitive immune system to stimulation from inflammatory compounds and foods. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a really interesting thing to say that, in, you know, you can 
you know, be continuously seeing improvements with uh, dietary intervention like these protocols, but it requires a continued commitment to these diets in order to maintain yeah. those improvements. You know, the, there's some uh, interesting papers that have come out showing that if you stop uh, these new biologic disease modifying drugs uh, like Tizabri or Tecvidera, uh, a much higher rate of acute flares happen. Uh, and I have observed, uh, so we should not be surprised about that. I've observed in our therapeutic lifestyle clinic uh, and the people who follow me that it, it becomes tempting after doing the protocol, uh, your dietary interventions for a couple of years to think, okay, I, I'm really great. I could indulge in having uh, treat food X or, you know, my, my, I feel bad for my son who's a kid and has gone, you know, two years uh, without any fun food. So I'm going to let him have some fun food. And then that person or the child experiences a severe disease flare. Uh, and the conventional doc, their interpretation is like, see, I told you diet doesn't work. Right. And of course, my interpretation and your interpretation is, see, I told you cheating is a high risk behavior because you stopped your disease-modifying therapy. Uh, so I, I now spend a lot more time in my clinical trials and in, in the lifestyle clinic to say, if you get a great response to the, the diet and lifestyle stuff that we teach you, what you need to know is this is a great treatment for your disease. But if you stop this great treatment, you can, you're at high risk of a severe disease flare. Um, so that... Don't get into thinking if you're two or three years into this, I could just now occasionally cheat. You know, I, I, I also say, well, I was that NTA, uh, Natasha Campbell said that if people in her practice are completely clean for five years to eight years, she'll let them uh, test out uh, some of the foods that she had them exclude. Um, and so people asked me if I ever tested out any of my exclusions and you know, my responses, uh, no, and I never will intentionally because my response, like you, is uh, severe pain. Uh, and then I'll uh, uh, have on another neurologic symptom, which will take a couple weeks from which to recover. And I'm like, you know, yep, I loved eggs. I loved brain, you know, bread. But, you know, I really like not having pain and I like having all of my body parts work. So it's just not at all tempting uh, to, to try the foods that, I, that I've had, had to exclude. And I know if, if I get contaminated food, I can still get a, my face pain to be triggered on. So I want to switch gears and go back to something that you mentioned before in your first study in uh, secondary progressing MS, where you had mm -hmm. people following the diet at the end of 12 months, there were eating an average of eight servings of vegetables a day compared to one and a half at baseline. Yeah. And I, I wonder if we can, I, I mean, we're getting a little into hypothesis land here, but when you talk about people who are using a, a nutritional intervention for autoimmune disease, you're talking about a highly motivated group of people. The um, conventional medicine options are generally pretty pathetic they generally are symptom management or they slow the progression of the disease. Some of them have side effects that are worse than disease symptoms, um, depending on exactly which autoimmune condition you're talking about. And, um, and so we're talking about people who are highly motivated to 
make changes that will make them feel better. But when you try to translate, because eating eight servings of vegetables a day is just a great recommendation for every single person. Um, if you translate that to somebody who whose motivation maybe isn't quite as um, stark. So mm-hmm. maybe somebody who's just looking to lose weight or they have cardiovascular disease in their family and they've been told they need to get healthier because they've got, you know, a high lipid panel or whatever. Um, you know, is there, in the research that you have done, have you been able to get insight on how to motivate somebody who doesn't oh, sure. have such a severe health condition to, to keep them going, how to motivate the more sort of average American well, with some kind of less invasive sure. chronic illness? So one of the things that I've uh, learned in my journey as a, a, a physician and uh, in working with my dietitians, as I do my studies, uh, motivational interviewing uh, and trying to help uh, the person relate to what is it that matters to them? Uh, what do they want their health for? And therefore, once we identify that, uh, then discuss how eating more vegetables or making the dietary interventions can help them be more effective uh, in meeting their uh, personal mission. In my lifestyle clinic, uh, which I ran at the VA for many years, although I I do have to acknowledge I've retired from the VA, but in that clinic, we talked a lot about uh, what is their health for? Uh, what is their purpose in life, uh, their hero's journey. Uh, and I loved the, uh, you were telling that most societies have a big struggle that we're not doing really good at. Some hero goes off, learns something really important about that struggle, then comes back and re-engages. And in America, we know the hero is going to win and they'll defeat the, the, the bad problem. In other societies, the hero may or may not win and society will at least make some progress, uh, but they really value the person who got into the struggle and got reengaged. And so I ask, I'll ask people, what do they want out of health in their life, and how are they going to use this in their hero's journey? And people are either ready to do this, Sarah, or they're pre-contemplative. And then, and, and in my case, I'm like, you know, if you're not ready to do the program 100%, with me for 100 days, that's okay, this is not the right time, then work with my dietitian, and and you can identify the changes you can commit to, and if you ever get ready to make the commitment for 100% for 100 days, we'll bring you back into the group. Or maybe this is just not the right time in life and you just want to do drugs, um, and your health will probably decline, call us when you think you are ready. Uh, So I never get into an argument, I never really get into persuasion, I get into, here's the program. Are you ready at this level? Do you want to make a smaller adjustment? Then you can work individually. And if you're not ready yet, call me when you are. Because I have, I have people waiting nine months to get to see me. I wasn't going to let a chair get used up by someone who wasn't ready to be fully engaged. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, for me, this is how I channel this exact sort of same experience is by... Uh, creating educational resources. So um, I don't like going out and being sort of evangelical about, you know, eating vegetables and organ meat and seafood and avoiding wheat products, etc. Instead, I want to explain why, you know, a 
good food choice is a good food choice and why a uh, poor choice is you know not going to support health and give people the information and then just you know basically working on the assumption that when people are ready to make changes they've got all the resources and all of the education they need to launch from um, without necessarily right right well, I don't like rules I don't like well, we, um, we, we uh, rules aren't well. Uh, trying to persuade is not helpful. People are either ready, or they're not. Um, and uh, let me tell you what I figured that out. My clinical practice was vastly more fun, uh, and so my job is uh, we, when we ran the class, uh, we'd have this lovely intro class where I'd tell my story, talk about functional medicine, all these principles, and then give uh, at the end people those three choices. Uh, to say, nope, not for me. Uh, I want to do this gradually, and I'll work individually with the di- dietitian, or they're ready to go whole hog and uh, do it 100%. Uh, and people would sort out into the natural groups, and it was very satisfying for the dietitian to work individually, and we just the groups we just loved. Um, and if people began to argue, I'd say, oh, that's fine, you're not ready, I'll, I'll have you work with the dietitian and come back when you are. Uh and it's just a much more uh, satisfying way to practice. And there's no need for people to feel guilty. If they're pre-contemplative, they're pre-contemplative. They'll come back when they're ready. Well, and I think that applies to a lot of our listeners in day-to-day lives as well. I know I've given the story before about how before I went paleo, years and years before, one of my close friends you know, tried to explain to me that drinking Diet Coke and pretzels um, when I was hungry wasn't actually helping me the way that I had come to believe that it was via Weight Watchers. And, you know, this idea of an empty calorie void of nutrition wasn't something that even I was ready to understand or take into my life. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's, it, I, I agree that to the point where someone's asking a question, I, I like to offer information or offer resources, but when people aren't asking or they're not ready to hear it, you're, you're literally, you might as well be talking to a wall. And like you said, whether it's other people waiting to hear from you or, or other positive energy you can give in your life towards anything else, you know, wasted energy just isn't a good use of anybody's time. You know, um, a little sidebar, because we're all parents here. Um, as I would have my various challenges with my kids growing up and, you know, they're pushing back and exerting their independence. Uh, I would sit myself down and say, okay, now think about this clinically. If they were a patient, they were pre-contemplative, you would let go of this. Remember, this is just what your kids need to be doing at this point in life. Let go of it. But it can be hard to remember that stuff, uh, in the context of friends and family. Uh, we, we want to push, um, but still, uh, we always have to remember uh, to let go that people are ready for action or the pre-contemplative uh, persuasion will never work. Answering a question will, but persuasion just does not work. Awesome. So we're going to save the rest of our amazing conversation with Dr. Terry Walls for a next week episode, part two. Um, we're fortunate that uh, she will join us again for a lively discussion on some uh, popular culture 
uh, media that has come out that I know Sarah wants to address. Uh, but in the meantime, don't forget to check out Terry's current book, The Walls Protocol, and her upcoming cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life. We'll talk a little bit more about that resource um, in next week's podcast. But um, in the meantime, feel free to check out those resources while you wait. And we appreciate you tuning in and listening to The Paleo View. Dr. Walls is also recruiting for a couple of upcoming clinical trials. So if you are somebody who suffers from relapsing, remitting, multiple sclerosis, um, please check out our show notes. We will have links so that you can get more information about her clinical trials. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I just finished getting rid of lice. What? I know. Again, second time in, what, three months? That's that's being a uh, parent. Yes. Yes. And it was a completely different species of lice, too. Like, the last ones were black and these ones were white. So, Yeah. So that was fun. We looked at them under a microscope because that's that's how we roll in this house. And it helps fight off the obsessive compulsive cleaning that happens. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's uh, it's fine. This time it was the 10 year old that brought it home. That then shared. Yeah. So mother of daughters. So, yes, I have I've just just washed the. The I'm using air quotes for non-toxic pesticides out of my hair because I'm like they're non-toxic but they kill the lice on contact so how non-toxic are they but at the same time it's lice I'm not gonna tea tree oil that that is not that's not the thing that's gonna happen oh yeah well that sounds uh difficult hopefully uh you won't have another uh break I hope it's been a like my kids' elementary school this year, they are basically like doctors are warning kids from other schools not to hang out with kids from my school because they've had so many infections. Um, in early February, they had 25% of the school out with three or four different things going around and lice going around. And they just they just seem to be really learning about sharing. <laughs>